You are listening to the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. And for that, I apologize. Man, they've been doing butt cakes for 18 damn years. That's crazy. Is this recording? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, now I hit the record button, but we haven't started the show yet. Okay. You want to start the show? Sure. Why not? I mean, <laughs> isn't this what our show is? Random stream of consciousness bullshit anyway? <laughs> uh, thanks for downloading. Hello. <laughs> Hello, and thanks for downloading the two Sorry Excuses podcast. Recording live from the banks of the Chesapeake Bay. I'm your old pal, Sanders. I'm your good buddy, Liv. And if you're keeping score at home, this is episode 70, the Nothing Bunt Cakes edition. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, Professor Thomas does this whole big Holocaust experiment. <laughs> and he's like, this is what it's like. But you're like, those are all douchebags. I don't care. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait, so at the Holocaust... Um, Hitler picked a bunch of brown-nosing douchebags to come in and interrupt my, uh, Philosophy 191 lecture? Yeah. Because, uh, that's all you're doing, pal. Wait, people volunteered who weren't in the class? It was a combination. So he had a bunch of folks who weren't in the class come in and, um... What's the word I'm looking for? Not alienate or isolate. Single out a bunch of kids in the class. Oh, he had kids come in who who singled out the kids in the class. Yeah, yeah. But it was was like like other ass kissers singling out fellow ass kissers. Right. It was like the advanced ass kisser class from um, from a different course came in and singled out the junior ass kisser But they knew who the ass kissers were, right? Because they could have picked out anybody they wanted to. Correct. They were in on the whole... Everybody was in on the whole thing. So, um... The whole exercise was maybe... Maybe a good example of what the logistics behind, you know, Nazi occupation were supposed to be. But his goal was to make you empathize or or uh even almost in incite some type of guilt yeah into into not rebelling or standing up against the infiltrators but whereas you're like if these are the douchebags they took who would care (laughs) (laughs) you know Uh, maybe if you pulled a tracy you know uh Maybe if you pulled a Teresa Di Pasquale up there, maybe you'd start having some concern, you know? Then I then I would care. Yes. Then I would care. Because especially especially because I'd be like, wait a minute. Yes. Unhand her. She is supposed to be in, in high school right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you know, yeah. it was only my freshman year. Oh, you know? okay, okay. She wasn't even up there yet. Tara Fox. If they had handed, yes. uh, I'd say, unhand Tara Fox, you <laughs> dastardly bastards. Unhand Tara Fox. <laughs> uh, speaking of Tara Fox, I, uh, I spent the day with Tara Fox the other, uh, uh, this, this past weekend. Oh, yeah. She is... Uh, do you know Tara Fox? Um, we're Facebook friends. Okay, okay, all right, very good. Um, 
So I, I was familiar with the name when she friend requested me, but I don't know if it's just familiarity due to you talking about her. She is <laughs> or the actual familiarity. But her um, name was always out there. Yes, it is always out there because uh, she holds a special place in uh, 1106 lore. Oh, no. um, because she, in addition to being the forerunner to Teresa de Pasquale, um, yes. she was the person who introduced Laughlin and I with Reardon and Peters. Oh, nice. She lived on Bowen. Two or Bowling Three, whatever the floor above Peters and Reardon were, and Laffy and I lived on Brewster One, and Laughlin and Tara Fox had a class together, and she knew those guys just from being, you know, floor activities, and she was like, "Hey, you got to meet these dudes uh, who live below me. Um, you guys would get along with them famously." And Laughlin and, and Tara always had kind of a, you know, like a. Like a weird, crushy kind of sexual yeah. tension, Ross and Rachel kind of deal, or whatever. Sure. And uh, <laughs> 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 I'm glad you didn't buy into that because I was embarrassed that I said it. <laughs> uh, so um, she introduced us, and we became friends. And she stuck around. And and we were friendly with her, but she went abroad for a semester and entered Teresa Di Pasquale. And yeah. um, as they say, the rest is history. But Tara moved out to Colorado like right after graduation. And she's been out there for like 15 years or, or however long it's been since we left school. But yeah. um, she'd come home every summer and I'd see her, you know, around the 4th of July. We'd go to the beach. We'd hang Broncos out. She's a fan, according to Facebook. She's a huge Broncos fan. Exactly. Um, She assimilated to the Denver lifestyle. She's a big skier, snowboarder, um, maybe smokes recreational marijuana cigarettes. I don't know. Maybe. Basically Um, what Shaggy's become. (laughs) I bet bet she's friends. I never even thought of him as a sports fan. I see pictures of him watching the Super Bowl last year, and he's in all his Denver shit, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's a prerequisite to live out there. You need yeah. to ski, smoke weed, and watch uh, Denver Broncos football with a passion. Yeah. So, um, so how'd you end up hanging out with her this week? She's moved back. She moved back to Jersey um, maybe like six months ago, and she was like one of the first people. Um, I was one of the first people she reached out to, and she's like, hey, I'm back in town. Um, you know, let's hang out and I'm in the midst of, of Bill's palsy uh, outbreak or whatever. And I'm like, hey, listen, I know of all the people you don't care, but I'm going to be honest. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little self-conscious with this Bell's palsy thing. Give me, give me some time to uh, recoup, and then we'll get together. And then, of course, one thing leads to another, and months go by. But uh, we finally uh, hung out, went to the beach, had a nice day, relaxed. Nice caught up um she is um you know uh sympathetic to uh, the midlife reset so uh you know she's she's going through a little bit of a career change and a and a yeah. relationship deal and uh and a move back home kind of 
yeah, kind of situation. Trust me, so I know all about all that stuff too. <laughs> so it was good to hear some. Uh, good to chat with somebody who was down with the cause. Even so. in your late thirties and trying to figure out what you want to do in your life, you know, <laughs> and ready to get another year older. Yes. Uh, seriously, that's, we were kind of talking about that, and uh, there's a there's a prime window. And we happen to be in that window. There's a two or three year span that if you just look around, it's like a, a, a battlefield of unrealized expectations and failed dreams, you know? Yeah. But the, the folks who are a little bit older than us, if you're talking about like Jay Stocks and Matt Sawyer and, you know, you want to throw Sean Reardon into the mix, like there's there's that. I don't want to call them a generation because they're they're they are our generation, but they're just the the upper, uh, you know, the upper stratosphere of of our generation. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't they, even in college at the same time as Sean Raven. They they seem to have it all together. Yeah, and then if you go down just a little bit, like my sister, you know, is in her like just early thirties, and all her friends seem to have it all together but there's this window this four or five year window yeah that you look around and you're like what the fuck happened to all these people <laughs> and i think we're we are prime center you know what it is it's the smallest generation as i like to call my generation the people born during the gerald ford presidency all right all right i never heard that what's the smallest generation the people oh, as a born point. during the Gerald Ford presidency, man. <laughs> we got to be like the smallest fucking generation. You know? Right, right. I mean, maybe technically somebody born during Kennedy, but all those people just group themselves as baby boomers, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Kennedy's too, definitely too far. Yeah. Kennedy's definitely too But they were calling, you know, greatest generation. I'm like, I'm the smallest generation. How many of us were actually born during Gerald Ford's presidency? The guy that wasn't even <laughs> elected to office. You know, <laughs> guy who just moved his way up. We're the, you know, right. We're the this drifting generation. <laughs> right, right. So maybe kid. that's it. Maybe that's yes. it. Maybe it's the Gerald Ford effect. Yes, it's the Gerald Ford kids. Because <laughs> you were born during Gerald Ford's presidency, right? I was born. Seventy-three, but I was oh, post. You're Nixon, baby. I'm Nixon, but I was. I think I'm post Watergate. Yeah, but you're still a Nixon baby. When was Watergate? Well, I mean, Watergate was started gone down, like seventy-four and all that shit. I mean, because the election was seventy-two and he was inaugurated in seventy-three. You know, right? And all the Watergate hijinks were during the seven leading up to the seventy-two election. You know, right, right, right. Yeah. All right, so I'm not I'm not quite there, but I yeah. in spirit in spirit I am. Yes. In spirit you're you're a Ford child. Because that's those are my classmates. I stayed I was yeah. held back, you know, I I missed the cutoff date as they say. Yeah, yeah, cuz you were born too late. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Or the time was too early, either either way. Yeah, six on one side, <laughs> half a dozen together. <laughs> uh, so that's what uh, that's what I did. That was basically the extent of uh, extent of my weekend. But 
um, I feel like we haven't recorded or posted a show uh, in a long time or an episode in a long time. But I was just looking back, and we had uh, we had a post on the uh, on the tenth of June, which is uh, which is only Last a week, week ago. Yeah. So that's actually pretty good. Uh, I mean, I knew we were supposed to try to get a half hour in last Thursday, but that was just too much for me to get done. Yeah, I kind of figured I didn't hear from you, and I had a bunch of stuff going on, so um, we just kind of let it go by the wayside. But the whole reason um, we were going to record that mini-episode was we missed some big news. Yeah, but it's good that we played it anyway. Yeah? Well, yeah, because stuff was not limbo, but I mean... Uh, the big news, of course, as the three of you listening out there might <laughs> not be aware of, uh, Brian and Carla, uh, Brian Peters and Carla Franceschi Green, had uh, Carla gave birth to their child. It was five weeks early. Little Maisie Lou Peters Franceschi Green. Or <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's just Maisie Lou Peters because that was one of the deals they made when they got married. That if they had any children, it would get the Peters name and it wouldn't have this ridiculously long hyphenated thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the baby was due, I think, July 15th, maybe. Okay, I didn't realize that, uh, that she was early. Yeah, he sent. I was sitting at lunch on a Friday a couple of weeks ago. And my right when we sat down, phone blows up. I look, and that was the last thing I was expecting. Because, like, the night before, my mom was asking me about pregnant pictures of Carla. I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I was like, I'm a guy. She's not exchanging pregnant pictures. And then, of course, the other day, I came across a picture Carla had texted me. Uh, <laughs> of her comparing her stomach to her dad's belly. And I was like, oh, I do have a pregnant picture of Carla (laughs) but anyway that was the night before the next day I was like wait what and he sent me you know he's like Maisie Lou Peters born five weeks early five pounds seven ounces mother and baby doing fine but but because she was born so early they had some issues you know and I know it was killing Brian and Carla because I think last not this past Tuesday, but Tuesday before, they had to go home from the hospital and they had to leave the baby at the hospital, which I'm sure, you know, any baby, it would be difficult to leave, but especially your damn firstborn. Sure, sure. You know, and uh, and then Brian followed up the other day, sent a picture, you know, baby finally got home and sent a picture of him holding the baby, which is a very, you know, very surreal image to me, seeing Brian <laughs> You know, it's one thing to think of him as a parent, you know, but I've <laughs> right. You know, now it's now it's official, you know. Brian's right. Brian's a dad and they can't give it back. Yeah, and I guess Carla's back to cranking butts and drinking Bud Lights again, but <laughs> you know that had to be killing her. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh so he sent uh, me a picture um I guess on the day she was born. It didn't it didn't have uh, all the stats and the details, and it looked like it was just a a text to me. It didn't look like it was a group message or yeah, or anything yeah. like that. So I had uh, I just you know responded to you know congratulations and somebody get Carla uh, a Bud Light, 
and uh, and he you know laughed back. And it wasn't until later that I looked at the picture and um, you know saw that they were still in the hospital and and you know whatnot. So I did, didn't put two and two together. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm glad everybody's doing good. I got to shoot them a message and yeah. So they're so now they're all at home with the baby. Carla won't do laundry. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because she's... she's got too much shit to do to do chores around the house. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? What decade is this? You know? <laughs> Seriously. Wait, are you advocating that she does have the time, or that the laundry doesn't need to get done anyway? June Cleaver would have made the time. <laughs> <laughs> We were trending high um, in the demographic of females from Boston. Now um, you've managed to alienate them as well. It's all right. It's all tongue firmly planted in cheek. <laughs> Trust uh, me, I don't expect uh... to have a wife that sits at home and just makes home and all that. You know, while I go out to work, for one, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna have to work you know <laughs> if she wants uh, prefer- to offer she's gonna have to work preferably the high paying job <laughs> yes uh, uh, so that just means uh, we got uh, one more uh, one more on deck as the uh, as the Reardon step into the batter's box yeah I mean uh, yeah Creedon's wife had the baby, I think, huh? Did she? Uh, that's a good question. That wasn't on my radar. Yeah, I mean, Creedon's wife's pregnant, too. And I know he had some Facebook posting, but I don't know if it was the actual baby or not. But it might have been, but, you know. But, yes, Mike Reardon, and let's not sound like jerks, Danique. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's be honest, we... who's doing the work here? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the man's job is done in 30 seconds, you know? Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. It's done in 30 seconds almost a year back, you know? Right. Well, a minute and a half in Reardon's case, if you figure the amount of, uh, uh, of time it took to resuscitate him afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, with all his, his maladies and conditions. I'm pretty sure yeah. that he lost consciousness at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, his, his their baby's due in July as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, July. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, that's that's exciting news. So I, I am uh, I'm due for a trip up there, I guess. Yeah, you are, apparently. I think, I think that's only fair. I think that's only fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm due for a trip up there, but that's not going to be happening too soon. Right. Because, uh, you know, we got, you know, so many other things to deal with before then. Plus, you know, babies are just like luggage for like the first year. (laughs) They really are. Hey, um, speaking of trips, you, uh, how was your trip to, uh, to the greater Chesapeake region of the great state of Maryland. It was, uh, I had a pretty good time, man. Uh, I haven't, I haven't had like a really great night of sleep in a while because, uh, well, my plane flew out at five fifty last Friday. 
Okay. I need to wake up like at three fifteen just to be showered and everything and get to the airport by four, you know, before mm-hmm. five o'clock just in case there were any issues. Right. You know, so I probably didn't get to bed till a couple of minutes after one o'clock. So I slept for about two hours. Oh, that's the worst. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just I had so many other things. And the, it wasn't the packing because I took almost nothing. Right. Know? It's just, you know, life, you know? Yeah. And then the basketball game was on that night. So I watched the basketball game, you know, and then the real problem was staying up to watch Camel. You know? <laughs> I really didn't need to stay up and watch the Kimmel that didn't come on till midnight. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. But, um, but I did, but, uh, but I made it there, to, flew into Baltimore, got there around 1115. It was my buddy, uh, who I went to law school with him. He got married a year ago at their family Bay house on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, and his brother, I think, got married at the same place like two years ago. But, I mean, you see, it's like, it, it's very weddings, wedding crashers-esque, you know? Right. Which, I mean, I'm sure that's where they were in wedding crashers, that type of place, you know, because they were, it was supposed to be people around D.C. You remember when they had the big party or whatever with Christopher Walken? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. So, uh, so, so his brother got married basically the same time of year, about two years ago. So they decide. I think they do a big party like this every year anyway because they got this awesome family house there on the bay. So the brothers, thing, you know, it, it's a big spread, you know. It's the house. It's the family house of the brothers. What's that? It's the family house of the brothers. Uh, well, I mean, no, it's all the, their grandfather built it, you know? Yeah, 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 but it's their side. It's not one of the brides or something. No, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Got it. I get what you're saying. Yeah, so they, you know, that's how I ended up there, because they sent that to Evite. We're doing an anniversary party, and I was like, fuck it, I'll come, you know? Just because I was dying to get a break from everything. And I went up there. And he picked me up at the airport, him, his wife, and the and his dog because they were gonna boil crawfish, you know, so they had the crawfish flown in. They arranged to basically have it come in the same time I did, you know, which was very convenient for me because I was all ready to take like the train and stuff, you know? Right. Because he lives in DC proper, you know, but he's like, Oh, we can time it out, we'll pick you up. So uh so it was great. We got up there, got down to the Bay House like around one thirty or something, and I was exhausted, and nobody was there yet because it was Friday, so it was nice and quiet. You know, I got to hang out in the pool. The weather was beautiful. Then went up, it took like a four, five-hour, you know, basically a four-hour nap, you know, which <laughs> they told me it's too long to consider a nap. But Right, right. Yeah. But then I woke up. I woke up around 7.30 eventually. Like forty five minutes later, we went out and ate crabs because you know you got to eat crabs the the New England way. I mean the Maryland way, of course. And the funny thing about that is, my buddy Ben, 
You know, he was saying, oh, these are all Maryland crabs. I was like, that's bullshit. Crabs come from Louisiana. Most of the crabs come from Louisiana up here. You know? He's like, no. I was like, no, that's that's true. Trust me. So we go to the place to get crabs, which is like this huge, great, you know, Maryland crab place, you know? Right. Uh, and right there on the menu, it says, we do our best to provide local crabs whenever we can. But do but uh, we do get crabs from Louisiana, Texas, and other places, <laughs> <laughs> which means all the time. Because up until maybe a few years ago, and maybe even not, you weren't even allowed to swim in the Chesapeake. Like human yeah. contact was forbidden with yeah, Chesapeake yeah. Bay water. It was so polluted. Now I think they've cleaned it up, obviously. Yeah, I'm sure um, they have. Over the years. And 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 Maryland is famous for crab. Yep. But it, over the years of of, you know, industry and and traffic, that's you know, it's diminished significantly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh that's what they're known for, but I So so you flew all the way to uh, Maryland for uh Louisiana crawfish and crab yeah yeah basically <laughs> i mean i knew that because a few years ago i think the stat was something like 70 percent of the crab that was served up there was from louisiana you know oh wow i didn't realize it was that much yeah i mean the difference is the difference is that it's just the way they cook them we boil them they steam them you know okay I mean, that's the difference. I mean, we're all eating the same damn thing, a blue crab, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and so that was fun anyway because I like crab as it is, so it didn't matter. I mean, I didn't see – we had the mallet, but I really didn't even need the mallet that much, you know? Right. Like, oh, you hammer the claws. I was like, oh, you just crack them, you know? <laughs> I, mean, I don't understand why they just don't crackers. It's not that – you know, here when you eat crab – you get crackers, you know, like a nutcracker, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you go to a to a, a local local uh, Maryland crab place, like you know the corner bar um, that specializes in crab, they'll give you crackers. Okay. Yeah. The mall- the mallets, a- mallets and stuff, you know. The mallets a touristy thing because that's yeah. what you see in the movies, you know. Yep. I was but, like, I don't um, get the mallet, but. But I saw the way they were doing it. It's basically to make it like a cracker, which is what we ended up doing. You know, taking like one of the little knives and, you know, basically using that to create the fissure, you know, as opposed to just smashing the shit out of it with the mallet. Right, 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 right. You know. Uh, But that was fun. The crab was very good. The place was good. You know, but then next day, you know, he got the crawfish. You know, which was shipped up from some guy down the bayou down here, you know? Right. But I had no clue that he really didn't know what he was doing, you know? Like Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, I mean, I eat crawfish, but I haven't actually boiled crawfish, like, on my own. It's been, I've done that a couple times in my life, and I haven't done that probably in over, since the 90s, you know? So he's got these instructions from the guy. I'm like, what's going on? And then, uh, well, before that, he's like, this is this is the next day, like the day we're set up for the party. 
like his brother's big thing. He gets the big old pig, you know, so we had to set up the barbecue for that, which was a, you know, for that, it's, you know, we had to lug all these cinder blocks out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he set up the um, the pit and uh, cooked the pig by himself? They didn't have, like, a catering company or something to do it? No, no, he did it himself. And it's oh, wow. really easy, actually. Yeah, it's a commitment, though. That's the yeah, only thing. But, uh, yeah, we went out there and we, you know, that was a pain in the ass, you know, lugging those cinder blocks around because it was like 40 of them. Right. You know, and you, you you build it up and then they had this huge grate. I don't know where they got that. They must have bought that, had that done custom or something, you know? Yeah. That that you put on top of it, of the cinder blocks, you know? And you... <laughs> You throw charcoal in there and get the charcoal going, and then you throw some wood o- over it, and and you roast the pig. Yeah, but that's his brother's thing. You know, his brother, I guess, does the pig every year. This is the first time we've done a crawfish. But, uh, you know, one of the things with crawfish, it's like you got to get stuff to throw in there, you know, lanyap. So he's like going on. Uh, he's like telling his wife to go get stuff, Ben. He's telling his wife, Liz. I was like, I'll go with her. You know, he's like, He's like, sure. I was like, trust me. I, I want to go with her anyway because, you know, people, you know, you could tell someone that's never done this before, go to get the stuff to throw in to the crawfish boil. You know, you're not exactly sure what you got to come back with. <laughs> right. You know? Right. So what are the basic, like, ingredients? We had like? the basic list, which was garlic, onion, potatoes, corn, um trying to think if there was anything else but that was the basic list that's in every crawfish boil basically you know okay onions go uh and mushrooms you know so we got that but we go to the store and the best thing is well you had to get sausage too problem was what kind of sausage you're gonna get you just can't get on sausage outside of louisiana you know you right. know regular smoked sausage in there usually so that's one reason i want to go see what kind of sausage we could get but the fun thing about a crawfish boil is what other crap you can throw in there, you know? Basically, right. whatever seems like it tastes good, you can throw in there. Now, uh, do you do you bag all of the ingredients, or no, do you just throw them in loose? Just throw them in loose. Okay. So you pull out a ear of corn, and you, you eat the corn? Yeah, the corn takes the spices in so well. Yeah. That's that's the great thing about the corn, you know? It's, right, right. You know, it just absorbs the uh, the boil. Okay. And, um, but we get there, and you know, based on what experiences I've had eating other things and other crawfish boils too, and uh, so I went and I did find sausage, and uh, I mean, we found sausage. I'm looking at, and I see andouille. I was like, oh, andouille. I grabbed like four packs. It was some kind of frou frou brand, but I didn't notice until we got back to the house. I was pulling out. Was... Oh, it's chicken sausage. Fuck. You know, but no one cared because it tasted good anyway. But right, right. you really don't want it to be chicken sausage. But I uh, and do you just boil the sausage too? Yeah, you throw it all in there. Okay, you boil it with the crawfish. Right. So, but I also bought some cheesy weenies because those are awesome when you throw them in the crawfish boil. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, tr- people. Because all these people, most of those people, you know, there's, this is a huge party. Most of these people don't even know. Most of these people have never been to a crawfish boil or anything. Right. 
So I'm like, I'm like, trust me, you gotta eat a cheesy weenie. And I, <laughs> I came across, I saw a bag of, you know, they had a display of frozen meatballs. I was like, I was like, oh, we gotta get a bag of these because I was at one night too long. Gotta have meatballs, and that was awesome, you know. So of course the meatballs were awesome. And then right. I was like, oh wait, I had Brussels sprouts not too long ago. So I got a couple frozen bags of uh, Brussels sprouts. You know, so we threw all that in there, and you know, it really gave it a little uh, flair. But the problem was, he ordered 110 pounds of crawfish. He didn't take into account two things primarily. One, all the other food that's there, because right. not only was his brother doing the pig, which I only ate very little of. But I think there was a lot of pig left. But he was also barbecuing, like, hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff. You know? So there was so yeah. much food to begin with. And how many, how many people? About... There had to be at least 50 people at the party, you know? Okay. There might be more, but I think there was, like, 50 people there. Was, the there, other... any, was there any catered element? Like, was there a bartender? Or was it just a, a, an old no, school... Yeah, just like an old school self-thrown party, you know? Okay, okay. Like when the wedding was out there, like when I was there last year for the wedding, they had, you know, they had a big old tent, you know, full bar service, you know, like it was all completely catered for the wedding, you know? Right. This is just like their own party, and I think they do it every year anyway. They kind of go all out, you know? Yeah. But 110 pounds of crawfish, that's a shitload of crawfish. That's uh, two pounds of crawfish. What's that? Yeah, I did quick math. That's about two pounds of yeah, crawfish per person. Yeah, you plan for like three pounds a person. Okay. If you throw a crawfish boil. Because you figure the average is three pounds. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are probably eating more than three pounds. But, uh, but some who will eat less, obviously, you know? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, didn't take that in. Kind of, we, we do the first batch of crawfish, and... Uh, at one point, we got the first batch done. I was like, because I came in front and he had been doing. It. I was like, no, I think you got to do this. And I was like, let me call my buddy Gagne. Gagne is a guy down here who is from down the bayou who usually boils the crawfish when we have parties and stuff. He's <laughs> one of the guys that does. It. Of course he does, because that's what people from the bayou do. Yes, they they boil the crawfish. <laughs> well, funny thing is, Gagne will boil crawfish, but he won't even eat them too often because he's. So busy getting drunk that he doesn't even care about <laughs> eating them. It's just all about the event, you know. Is Gagne his? La- I've I've heard of Gagne before. Gagne is Ben Gagne? Is- okay, all right, all right. Yes, but everybody just calls him Gagne, which is right. you know it's like that thing like I'm Liv and you're Sanders. Yet our siblings have to go by their proper first names. <laughs> Gagne's got a brother, and we all just call him Sam. Yeah. <laughs> How anticlimactic. Yes, it's like, oh. And he refers to his brother as Ben, and we're like, oh, Gagne? <laughs> <laughs> so he, I was like, I need some pro tips. And he, I was like, all right, all right. I, I thought, because that was the thing. At first, we were doing I was like, wait. I was like, normally at this point, we throw ice on it, because when you're done boiling it, you know, you need to leave it soaking. And normally you throw ice on it. And uh, I mean, just to, to stop it from cooking, you know? Right, right. Because you're letting it soak the take in the spices. And uh, so Gagne calls up. I was like, 
was like, you guys always throw ice. How long you let it in there? I was like, that's to stop the cooking, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, totally. Was, you know, and he gave me the rule. It was like, ah, boil till they float, sink, soak till they'll sink, and they're done. I was like, all right, all right. You know, as opposed to these times, you know? Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Like the guy that he, the, the coon ass that they give him, they bought the crawfish from, gave him directions like five minutes. Guy, and he was like, five minutes? Usually I sit there and let him soak for so long, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, whatever. But we throw the first batch out there, and everybody rushes to the table. But I knew it was going to be, you know, kind of like not the, uh, that we were going to have a hard time with the crawfish because, um, because I saw people literally taking five crawfish on a plate. <laughs> and that's not how you eat crawfish, you know? You sit right. there at a the table, you stand there at the table, and you just eat them. Right, you know? right. Piles of them. Yes. <laughs> you eat them by the pound, not by the... By the, by the, by the mount. Yes. Uh, and that was the first one. And I was like, I was like, this is the thing. It's a... You know, this is a uh, a novelty to most of these people. You know, right. they came when they ate the crawfish and they were done. So we had all this damn crawfish. And I, and I sat there and ate some for a while. But I'm like, hey, I don't feel like sitting out there all by myself eating crawfish. <laughs> people are like, uh, who's this buddy who came all the way from Louisiana just to eat crawfish that he that they brought from Louisiana? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But he, he has, you know, his family, they're, Ben's family, they're all big into, like, the New Orleans thing. Like, his dad went to Tulane. His dad wasn't at the party, though, because he was out of town. But okay. his dad went to Tulane. Uh, he and the brother both went to Tulane. He he stayed uh, okay. here at law school at Loyola where I went, you know? Right. I, mean, right. I keep forgetting they, that they here. the reason you know these guys is because they have a tie to New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, like, all they're right. big New Orleans people. And his aunt and uncle were there, and they're and and they love New Orleans. You know, these are all D.C. metropolitan area people. You know, yep. but they love New Orleans, so they gladly sat inside. And this is his aunt and uncle. They gladly sat inside and shelled all the uneaten crawfish, which were probably eighty pounds worth of uneaten crawfish. Oh my god! You know, because that's what you do at a regular crawfish boil. You have leftover crawfish. You sit there and you. You peel them all and you save the tails and you can cook stuff with the tails, you know, like crawfish pasta, crawfish etouffee, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And they said something like, you know, at one point his aunt makes a comment to me, oh, well, you didn't do enough work. I was like, I'm sorry, I ate all I can eat. I'm not <laughs> come here to eat crawfish all day, you know? Right, right. But, uh... I'm going to gorge on the crab that you import from my home state. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I came up here to eat all this Louisiana food, you know. But it was a great time. Uh, I got a little sun, you know. At okay. one point, I started getting too much sun, and I went and applied the 70 SPF. I, uh, I'm i glad you had a good time because when you uh, told me you were going to the, to the party uh, and that it was, you know, the, the buddies from, uh, from Maryland – and uh, the episode that that uh, that we talked all about this is, I think it's called Two Sorry Seersuckers. And it's probably about, 
I don't know, 40 episodes back. So if you look, yeah. if, if, if you're, if Fredo, if you're listening and you want to, uh, want to refresh your memory, uh, I think it's somewhere around like in the thirties, I'd imagine. And, um, so when you went, when you told me you were going back, I'm just kind of in that mood where I think everything is stupid now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I'm teenager. Right. Right. I'm like, anybody else that's having fun, I'm like, that's a stupid idea. Like why why are yeah. they throwing a why are they throwing an anniversary party anyway? You know, marriages are dumb. I can't believe they're they even got married. You're all so <laughs> right, I'm jaded, you know. So I'm like, that's stupid. And then my um I went to acupuncture, uh, and I have this. He's a younger guy, and he was he likes to tell me stories about what he cooks and you know cars he's into and stuff. So we, he's a pretty friendly guy, and he was telling me he was throwing a party uh, this weekend, and it was an amber alcohol appreciation party. Basically, it was like uh, you know a bourbon party. Yeah. Okay. A bourbon tasting party. Bring a bourbon, and everybody sits around and, and gets wasted. And I'm like, that's stupid. What a dumb, <laughs> grow up, dude. You know, like just that's not what life is all about. Sitting around drinking bourbon. You know. Meanwhile, this past St. Patty's Day was the first day I haven't thrown the uh, Asbury Park St. Patty's Day party. You know yeah. that I would, I'd open up the grill and I'd make corned beef and like I'd make a big deal about it. Like I invented St. Patty's Day. You know. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not like I've grown out of this shit for 20 years and, you know, have this jaded experience. It's totally all just, it's all relative and it's all recent, you know? So when you're like, oh, I'm going down to my buddy's throwing an engagement party, I'm like, oh, I can't believe Liv's wasting his time to go to a stupid uh, anniversary party in Maryland of all places. And then I was pissed that I couldn't come down because initially in my head... In my head, I was like, that's not far, man. If I could just, if I could kill two birds with one stone, you know, take a little time out for myself as well as catch you on a, you know, on a Northeast trip. Yeah. I was, I was into it, but and I had to work uh, there. You would have been welcome. But I'm, I, I'm glad you had fun because that, then that re, uh, reinforces, uh, my, my belief system. That uh, the things are actually fun, you know what I mean? Sound it sounds like a fun party. Yep. Funny yeah. thing is uh, <laughs> that you brought up the idea about seersucker because you mentioned that episode. Yeah. Last summer when he got married, like he he, he wore a seersucker tuxedo. It was black, but it was seersucker. Okay. You know, and all the groomsmen wore seersucker, and the. Uh, his his wife's his brother-in-law his his wife's brother uh he was in the wedding and he had to wear the seersucker and i had seersucker shorts on you know and he's talking he's like oh he's got those shorts made out of that material from the suit you know he lives in brooklyn he's like 28 or something you know young guy fashionable guy they're originally from uh Blairstown, New Jersey. Do you know where that is? Uh, I do. I do. Very uh, a well-to-do town, well-to-do area. Yeah, well, they they weren't well-to-do. I think what happened was I think the parents were kind of hippie-ish. So they bought this big plot of land back in the day, and the dad built the house and everything. 
but he was a mechanic, and the mom was like the town letter carrier. You know? Oh, okay. All right. But I think because, like you're saying, it's well-to-do, I think they ended up working out very well because they own a huge, like, acres of property in a town that became really fashionable. Right, right. And who's this? This is one of the groomsmen? This, well, it's the brother, the brother of, of the bride. It's the bride's family. Oh, brother of the bride. Got it. But, that's Got it. but the odd thing is they're actually New Orleans legacies, but I don't need to even get into that. It's a, it's a very weird story there. Um, but, uh, but it was like a weird thing to seer sucker to him. Like the idea I'd be wearing shorts out of him, you know? Right. And he's, and he's like, yeah, I got the jacket. He's like, uh, you know, I wear the jacket, but I never wear those pants. You know, I was like, why wouldn't you wear the pants? It's an all right suit. He's like, he's like, they're too loose. He's, I was like, well, you need Taylor. He's like, we, they were fitted on us. Just, I live in New York. We don't wear our pants like that. You know, <laughs> 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 and I guess New York, the thing is, you're, and I see people like this all the time now. And, and he was pointing to some guy like that. That's how we wear our pants. They got the pants and they roll the cuffs up to look like. Have you seen this look? I'm sure you must if you if you're around New York. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, it's like a high water pant with no yeah, socks and dress shoes. And they look like they look like big pussies, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, but that's how they wear their pants. They like like not only are the pants already a little skinnier, maybe. You know, they're not skinny pants. You know, but they're closer crop pants. But I think, you know, the way they roll them up, they do them where, you know, where you can cinch the roll to make it even look a little tighter, you know, around the ankle. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Because, uh, and I remember, like, not too long ago being a party and these guys showed up and I was, it was at a crawfish boil, actually. I was like, are these guys gay? And I was like, no, those guys are from New York. <laughs> gay european new york or both yes gay yes yes <laughs> i was like regardless right. the guy and his asian friend that showed up might be from new york but i'm certain they're gay too but that's another story you but know it was the like, first what's that? the first thing that went through my mind was uh, i'm picturing this uh, as you're talking it out and and so the brother, uh, the brother-in-law says, "Well, they're too loose. We wear our pants like that." And he points yeah. to the guy in, with the pants rolled up. My first instinct in my visual, uh, in my mind's eye, was to actually punch the brother-in-law in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> then walk over to the guy who was actually wearing the pants yeah. and punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Well, first the guy that was actually wearing the pants. Uh, lives in Hell's Kitchen, which killed me when he said that. I was like, they gave Hell's Kitchen that name because of the people that were living there at that time, not because of you, you right. know? Right. They make it sound like he's hard. Yes, because you live in some area where the people who uh, who basically gave it the name can't afford to live there anymore. It's like, right. <laughs> trust me, it will have a different name in a few years. Hell's Kitchen right now is just ironically... Uh, named when you're living there, right? You know, right. Pretty soon, sure I don't mind, you know, because one, he's he's very cool, and he's not so much like those guys. He's just he's he's like we just don't dress like that. The brother, uh, he gets to dress fashionably because 
he's in ridiculously good shape. You know. Well, that and and in all fairness, that's why I only punched him in the stomach. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can tell he's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, he does. He does all kinds of CrossFit shit stuff. Uh, he works at like a CrossFit studio, I think. I think he has another job too. But one of his things he does involves this CrossFit studio, and um, and this is a revelation I only heard after the brother left. Uh, you know, they were Ben and his wife and somebody else was talking about CrossFit. Oh well, it can't be good for you. Oh, that stuff's gotta be bad for you. It's like, yeah, well, look at Michael. He's in such great shape, but. He's 28, and he's already had a hip surgery. You know, it's like, what kind of 28-year-old has hip surgery? And it's like, <laughs> because he does CrossFit. It can't be good for you. <laughs> yeah, man. I was like, uh, Bo, Bo Jackson? Because yeah. <laughs> he was probably about 28 when he had that hip surgery. Right, right, right. <laughs> Bo Jackson and CrossFit hipsters, that's who has yes. hip surgery. Yeah, well, in Michael Boltman's defense, he's not a hipster. You know, he <laughs> rages against all those people, and I understand where he's coming from. He's a Rutgers grad. He's he's not rich. He's not a trustafarian. You know, he's just living there because he likes it. You know. Wait, his name's Michael Bolton. Boltman. Oh, Boltman. Yes, all that. Right. And Ben likes to call him Michael Boltman all the time, just because it sounds so close to Michael Bolton. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but their connection in New Orleans is there was a prominent funeral home along St. Charles Avenue, the Boltman Funeral Home. That was there forever, and I think it closed after the hurricane. And when Ben came down after leaving college, after leaving law school a couple years later, coming down from D.C. to present the new girlfriend... You know, he's like, this is Elizabeth Boltman, you know, her family owns the Boltman funeral home. I was like, and she didn't know anything about this really, but her grandfather, you know, it, it was the direct descendants. Uh, they ran the Boltman funeral home, which was a prominent funeral home. And it's a historic building. Now it's a grocery store there, oddly enough. But it they, was her, it was her grandfather. It was, it was her family. Her grandfather, it was at Pearl Harbor, and I think after Pearl Harbor, after the war, he, I don't know if it was before the war, after the war, that he graduated from Tulane and got an engineering degree, and I think he moved to Chicago, you know, because he didn't want to be in the funeral business, you know? Okay. But he moved to Chicago, and he had kids, and one of them was her father who, you know, I don't know how he ended up in New Jersey, but he ended up in New Jersey, you know, and had family. And she didn't even know anything. I was like, I was like, wait, I was so floored by it, you know, and she didn't realize the gravity. I was like, you mentioned Boltman down there. Everybody knows the Boltman funeral home. You know, it was, it's, it was always right there. It was in a very prominent location. It was huge, you know? See, that's so weird. I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't trace my lineage back and, and, you know, some uh, parts of my family aren't really worth tracing back, but yeah. the you know the ones that that uh, you know I take and have some semblance of pride in, like my grandfather was a cop in a short town in Long Branch in in New Jersey, 
And he's got a baseball field named after him. And I drive around that town like I'm Prince Charles. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't imagine not knowing that, you know, two or three generations back had a prominent, you know, had a prominent uh, legacy or or at least a notable business in a major town, you know, major yeah. city in America. Well, I mean, she knows of it. It's just that it's not, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's just not a big deal. Like, and apparently it seems like from what she's told me that they don't really have too many family down here anymore or too many connections with the family that is down here, right. which is odd. I mean, I guess they all just dispersed, you know, because, you know, they were Germans, you know, I guess it's like a lot of immigrant businesses, you know. The immigrants come and open the businesses, and eventually the kids get successful and go do other stuff. Right, right. You know, and no one really wants to be a undertaker. Uh, but, yeah, she she knew so little about it. Like, they were here, when were they here? I think they might have been here in March uh, of this, earlier this year. And I was driving them down St. Charles, and we came to where the Boltman Funeral Home is. And you, the facade's the same because it is sat there fallow for a few years and a border's open in its, in its place. Okay. But part of the deal they made with borders is you can't change the front, you know? So it was basically built like a, a Hollywood set, you know? Yeah. Because like, you can't change this. This is historic, you know? It needs to look like this. So they basically kept the facade up and they built everything behind it, you know? And, of okay. course, it went bankrupt, which is right. why now it's a grocery <laughs> store in that spot. It was open for, like, two years when Borders went bankrupt, you know? Well, how big of a funeral home was it? It was pretty big, you know? Wow. Like, it's a big space. It's a big space. See, because down here, funeral homes, for the most part, are are literally houses. Yeah, they got a lot of house, like, but the thing was, where it's located in St. Charles, it was like a big prominent St. Charles house. Yeah. Like a mansion. Okay. All right. All right. You know, so you're thinking in terms of that, you know? Got it. So, because it's like in the garden district. And uh, so we're driving back from downtown and we're in St. Charles. And, and I stopped. I was like, I was like, Ben, wake up Liz. Because she had passed out of back there. I was like, see that? And she had never, she didn't even know about that. I was like, that's where the Boltman funeral home was. You know, I was like, that was the Boltman funeral home. You know, and she's like, oh, all right. You know, it, it, but it's kind of a crazy connection. You know, like even the grandfather was in the same fraternity at Tulane as Ben. And this is all stuff, all these New Orleans connections, but they're all meeting all this stuff. All these um, connections are being made a thousand miles away, though, which is weird. Right. You know, he just randomly right. met her up there, you know. And turns out he's a guy who went to school in New Orleans who loves New Orleans. She happens to have New Orleans legacy. And they have three animals, a dog and two cats, who are all from New Orleans. Because she came down here on a service project in 2007. She's a teacher at the school in D.C. that has a focus on service. Um, so in 2007, right after she had first started teaching there, she came to New Orleans and she was at a shelter and they had two cats and it said that they were antisocial and they were shipping them to a kill shelter in Boston if they didn't get adopted. And so she decided to adopt those cats. So there's the cats they have. 
been probably around the same time, not knowing her at the time, even though they were in the same city. Uh, he adopted a dog down here. So they got New Orleans pets. Monday morning, you know, we drove back to D.C. on Sunday night, watched the game, slept there. He woke up and had to drive her to the school because they were going to go do a volunteer thing, a week of volunteer service in Point Pleasant. Point Pleasant, New Jersey? Yes. It's all part of the Sandy recovery. How do you like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where she is right now. Well, yeah, that is where she is right now. Wait, they're in Point Pleasant, New Jersey? She is in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Get out of town. Yeah, yeah. so her and all the people from that school that she teaches at, you know, I guess they all have to go do service, you know? It's a big deal, you know? Yeah. One of the things they stress, so they're spending a week or six days down there, you know? I was like... I was like, oh, where are you going? She's like, oh, Jersey Shore. I was like, oh, where? She's like, Point Pleasant. I was like, oh, all right. I was like, you know, I told her. I was like, yeah, I remember Ange. You know, she was at Tom's River, such and such. <laughs> well, uh, joke's on you guys. Point Pleasant is back on track. <laughs> I assume they must still have some houses that need work. Huh? Oh, they must, yeah. That area still has some. Yeah, I mean, I know people are still doing recovery. litigation with all that stuff, you know? That the whole thing sounds like a movie that is told from the perspective of you. Yeah. Fifty <laughs> years later, played by uh, Leon Redbone. Leon sitting Redbone. sitting on a park bench, telling the story to to a bunch of uh, a bunch of youngsters yeah. who have uh, who've come down um, to New Orleans for the for Mardi Gras for the party lifestyle. And yeah. the flashback is the actual story of them meeting. Uh, ben being obviously played by John Cusack, and uh, what's the girl's name? Liz. Liz being played by uh, Diane Lane. Diane Lane, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> what movie was uh, that? Uh, <laughs> a s- synchronicity or something like that. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, I added the Le- I added the Leon Redbone part because I think yeah, if somebody yeah, but were I to- knew there was a John Cusack Diane Lane movie. I was- if, if somebody were to play you in some type of biopic uh, retrospective, I pictured being uh, Leon Redbone. Oh, okay. I, and- I don't know why. I just think he has the wit and witticism of a elderly Matthew Livercary. Oh. Matthew J. Livercary J. Right. It's Matthew M. Matthew. I, I knew it was M, but I talked myself out of it. Yeah, 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 it's all right. I'll let it go. It's all right. All right, thanks. Um, and that was all good and everything. So Monday morning, got up and I had plans. I was like, planes not leaving the five fifty six p.m. I have enough time. I can walk around D.C. a little bit, you know, a very little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then I was gonna go into Baltimore and I was gonna stop into Lexington Market to go to the, uh, this place called Fadley's, which people had recommended to me before. The first time I went up there, and I, because uh, they have great crab cakes, and they did. And I was like, well, this time I'm going to go get some and bring them on the plane, you know, because you can get uncooked ones, you know? Right. So I get up, and um problem was I really didn't have shoes, because all I brought was flip-flops and, like, a pair of these driving shoes things. So I was wearing flip-flops, which aren't great walking shoes. And, of no. course, I don't know much about D.C. You know, I never knew how many 
inclines and slopes there were there, you know? <laughs> um, Hence Capitol Hill. Yes, yes, yes. But that's just one hill, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was even thinking about it anyway. I mean, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't bringing sneakers just because they take up too much space, you know? Y- yes. And I try to wear flip-flops and shoes that can slip off when I go on planes now since since you got to deal with that fucking stupidity right? Uh, of kicking your shoes off. And apparently they don't think the terrorists are so evil that they would let little kids put the shoe bombs on their shoes because they say, because I, I noticed a sign there the other day saying kids under a certain age don't need to take their shoes off. It's like, well, these evil fuckers would put their little kids in those shoes if it was really might. a threat that it is, which it isn't. But right. uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, so he drops me off at this place to eat uh, lunch because he had to go to work, you know. And uh, he works for a bunch of guys. They open all these bars. And since all the gentrification's going on in D.C. right now, they're opening bars in places that aren't hot yet, you know, too, you know. But are on the, but the, but you can tell the neighborhood's ready to pop, all that type of stuff. Yep. Uh so he's like, oh, this place is a great place to go eat. You know, I was like, all right, I'll go there. So he drops me off there and he's like, oh, you can hit these museums. When I get down, I was like, all right, I'll just hit the Air and Space Museum. You know, so I went to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. You know, it's like, oh, you can spend 30 minutes in there. I spent probably like 20 minutes in there because it took 30 minutes to get in because it's full of fucking kids. All these, <laughs> all these field trips and shit. It's the end of the school year. Yes. But. To me, it doesn't even – I'm like, why are they all around? Because school year ends in May in Louisiana, you know? Right. Like, what are kids still doing school in the second, third week of June? I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on, man? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but they're everywhere. And then the other – see, that's – and then you go in the museum. It's not just school kids. It's just everyone. And that's my – the biggest takeaway from D.C. is – motherfuckers are just everywhere (laughs) you know and uh i'm walking around with my bag which really sucked you know my roller bag you know yeah a little carry-on thing but thing is i needed to walk around with it because i was you know he wasn't gonna be able to bring me to the airport so i went there for a little bit it's like all right i saw the air and space museum i was thinking about going natural history and air and space but it was like there's just not enough time to do both I was like, well, I got to walk up, go see Capitol Hill. So I walked up there, and that's when shit was really killing me, you know, because the, the mall is pretty damn big. You Huge, know? right. Yeah. And I only started from, like, that point down there where where I ate lunch and then, which was, like, on D Street or something, and then moved on down to the museum. And I had to walk, like, a mile just to get there, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, I've got to go walk by the Capitol. And I was like, another day I'll come. And, I, and in the future, I will go one day and start up by the White House and all that other shit, you know, and go all the way down. But I walked down by the Capitol, and that's a real intense walk, you know, because it is Capitol Hill. And it yeah. is very far away. You know, it looks like it's close. No, Yeah, it looks like it's close, yeah, yes. You can see it all right there, you know. Right. You look and you can see it right there, but it's really far away. But then I looked at the map and I was like, well, I got to go check out the Supreme Court building. You know, I didn't go in the Supreme Court, 
But I was like, I was like, I'm a lawyer. I need to go in front of the damn Supreme Court and take a picture of it. You know? <laughs> and it seems like it's close to Capitol, but it's still like a couple of blocks behind the Capitol. Right. You know? So I walked up to the Supreme Court. I saw people going there, but I was like, I, I don't have time to be run up in there. Plus, I was like, I got this bag with me. It's the Supreme Court. They're probably going to give me shit about that. So I didn't feel like dealing with it, you know? Because you know how much of a pain in the ass it is to go in with a bag in a regular court? <laughs> you know, it's like, right. what's this razor for? You know? It's like, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm going to go shave Scalia. You know? <laughs> so I just stood across the street and took a couple of pictures. I can say, yep, there's the Supreme Court, you know? Yeah, and you um, we will uh, we'll make you a uh, a guest of honor at the Sanders family, um, cherry blossom outing one year. Yeah, and that's come, another thing I got to do because I don't even know where the cherry blossoms are. You know, I didn't go anywhere near where those trees at least are. You know. Yeah. Um, and maybe then I can take my trip, my my daytime excursion through the National Mall, starting down at one end down by the Jefferson or Lincoln Memorial and work my way all the way up to the Supreme Court. There you go. And the Library of Congress, which I actually would like to go check out. I came across the National Archives. I was like, I'd like to go check that out. <laughs> but I didn't have time for any of that shit, you know? Because I needed to get on that train so I could get to Baltimore and get my damn crab cakes and then make it to the airport on time. That's it. Priorities, man. And I still got more to go. So last year, it was a year, the wedding, I think you got married on June 21st or something like that. I went okay. there on a Friday, I came back there on a Sunday, and I got in all this shit where I, because it was a Sunday, I was supposed to be taking the, the metro to Baltimore, because uh, I was hanging out with some friends there, and my friend was like, oh, you got to get on now, but... Because it was Sunday, the trains weren't running as often, and then of course they were slow. So it was at a point where I got the Union Station, where it's like you just got to get off and go try to get an Amtrak train. And I went to the machine, bought the Amtrak ticket, and ran right to the gate as it pulled away. I remember that story. And I'm like, why did these fuckers? Why does the fucking machine even let you buy a ticket if you, if it's impossible to make it to the train before it pulls away? <laughs> So I went and they gave me a credit. So I had that with me. They got, they got, you got a year to use it. I was like, all right, sure. You know? And I, so I go there. I was like, well, I still got the credit. You know? And I, I go up to the Amtrak counter. And they're like, uh, I was like, what do you got? I got to get to Baltimore, you know, Penn Station. And uh, they're like, oh, well, we got this. I'm like, well, I have this this credit. and And he's thinking of the cheapest one. I was like, well, how much is the Acela? He's like, it's 42 You only have $38. I was like, I don't give a fuck about that. I need to use that that credit now. Give me the Acela for 4 bucks. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. <laughs> so I got to D.C. in about 25 minutes. I mean, I got to Baltimore in about 25 minutes. Nice. Yeah, and I went to the, I went to the Lexington Market. I got my crab cakes, you know, had an ice cream. Yeah, I did the whole thing, and I got to the airport with plenty enough time, you know, like right around, right before four or something, I got there. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm on a flight, it's gone through Chicago, and it's going to go to New Orleans, which sucks, you know, because it's 
way longer trip than than the trip up there, which was through Charlotte to DC. You know, which were each like one hour, twenty minute flights. You know, right. Um. So anyway, I uh, I. I get to the airport, I'm sitting there, and they're like, uh, this plane's overbooked to Chicago, yada, yada, yada. If anybody wants to volunteer, and I didn't do anything at first, because sometimes I'm kind of, like, superstitious about that shit. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to volunteer, because that'll be the plane that crashes the one to hop on. Right. Because, I was always impacted by those time-life mysteries of the unknown series. A man decides not to get on a plane, and the plane crashes. You remember that? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but then finally, I'm like, fuck it. I was like, I'll get a $250 credit. I'll see what I can do. I was like, I was like I'll volunteer my seat if you can get me to New Orleans. They're like, oh, we got a direct flight from Washington National. I was like, well, how am I going to get there? They're like, oh, we... We'll give you a cab voucher. And they're like, it's leaving at 8 o'clock. And this is like 5-something at the time. I'm like, that's great. You know? I was like, can we do this now? They're like, oh, we can't do it until the plane boards. Well, while I'm up there, they back it up. Like, oh, the plane's not going to be able to leave to 6-something, you know? But it's still good to get me a cab, get me to, to, Re- to Reagan Airport in time, you know? Yeah. But then shit keeps getting backed up, and you're hearing, I overhear people, oh, there's tornadoes in Chicago, which apparently is what the situation was. Okay. That there was really bad weather in Chicago. It was the night they were playing the Stanley Cup, too, the final game in Chicago that night. Uh, but apparently there was flash flood watch warnings and tornado warnings, like in Chicago proper. Okay. Which is why the plane kept getting delayed. And finally, it's like, I look at the time, and I'm like, it's, all right, it's six-something, maybe seven at this point. I mean, there's no chance that even if they board the flight right now, I could get on a, get in a cab and get to Washington National in time to get that direct flight, which is really killing me. But at this point, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen, but am I even going to be able to make my connecting flight to New Orleans? And I, uh, here's a little aside about the Blackhawks thing. There was an old lady there, an older lady, probably in her 60s or so. And uh, and we're sitting there, and this is after I'd spoken to him about something else when I was going to volunteer, and they had backed up the time while we were there. She's like, "Oh, they're back at the time. We can't do this." She's like, "The Blackhawks are playing tonight." She's like, "Blackhawks <laughs> are playing tonight." She's like, "It's going to be bad going through downtown." You know, I I don't, I don't know. If she lived downtown Chicago, or just had to go through downtown to get where she lives in Chicago. She's like, right. "I don't want any part of that." You know. She's like, the Blackhawks are flying. If they win, it's going to be crazy down there. If they lose, it's going to be crazy down there. She's like, you got to put me on a different flight. So she had to put her on a different flight the next day because she's like, at this point, it's going to be too late. And I'm not, she was not going to get stuck downtown <laughs> Chicago in the midst of a Stanley Cup celebration or defeat. Well, which, well she, she knows her Blackhawks, that's yeah, for sure. I wanted to tell her when she was saying, even if they lose, it's going to be bad. You know, I was like, well, it's only game six. They're not going to riot if they lose tonight because it means they still have one more game to go. <laughs> All right. right. <laughs> but, I didn't, but, I, but I didn't correct her on that point. But I, was, I did get the point. Oh, yeah, if they win, it would suck. You're not going to be able to get anywhere if, you're, if you got to get downtown. Um, 
Oh, imagine that. You sat there, you got delayed by four hours or whatever it was, then you land, yeah. and the Blackhawks win, and you're stuck in a riot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I go up to the counter at this point, and, and while I'm up there, it's like they they backed up the boarding time, the departure time for this plane again to like eight something or seven seven forty five now, you know. And I was like, and the girl's like, she runs at you. She's like, yeah, you're definitely going to miss your connecting flight to New Orleans. You know, it's going to be too late when this one lands. And I'm like, can you do anything? You know, anywhere. And she's looking. She's like, oh. The one that goes to Dallas, that's going to be too late, too. You know, because the problem was not too many flights are gone any, to New Orleans after 930 when, when the one in Chicago is supposed to land. And the time it would take to get to Dallas, it, you know, right. else was going to be the last flight to New Orleans was already leaving at that time. So this is where the screw job happens. <laughs> I was going to a CLE all day on Wednesday, yesterday, and I knew that. And, but I had a lot of shit to do on Tuesday, and I, I had booked my vacation time the way it is so I could get in Tuesday and do a bunch of shit, you know, knowing I wasn't going to be in the office on Wednesday. Right. Well, uh, another thing is I need to be at work to get paid. Yes. Because that's how my deal works. Yeah. So... She she's like, no, well, you're not going to be able to get out tonight. She's like, you could go to Chicago and you could stay there. And this is where I really misinterpreted shit. She's like, you don't know anybody you're going to get a hotel there, but, you know, they're not going to pay for it because it's weather related. Or we can put you on a flight tomorrow that goes from here to Philly and then Philly to New Orleans and get you in for like 1130 in the morning or some bullshit like that. I was like, all right, put me on that. And the way she said to me, it made it sound like we'll pay for your voucher here for a hotel. You know, because she's like, but you go to Chicago and we're not going to pay, you know, but it's weather related. You know, to me, it sounded like, you know. Yeah, it sounds like she even changed the tone of her voice. Yes. And then I was like, fine, let's do that. And then she does the whole thing. And then she's dealing with five other things because everybody's freaking out, you know. Yeah, yeah, and she yeah. gets on the phone uh, because there's all these other issues going on. I'm like, excuse me. She gets off the phone. I was like, how do I get my voucher for the hotel? She's like, I told you there's no vouchers. It's weather related. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so then I go down the, the airport info information desk. And I'm like, I'm not calling my bike Ben because the next day the flight's leaving at 755 anyway. I'm not going to be like, hey, man, come pick me up at the airport and wake up at four in the morning and drive me to Baltimore, you know? Right, right. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's the closest, cheapest hotel. The airport guy's like, anything that says Hanover or Lithicum is is near the airport. Because I want to be as close to the airport as possible. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And he's like, I recommend uh, Red Roof Inn and Best Western. And he gives me his whole thing of pla- plastic sheets, you know, of all yeah. the hotels. I was like, all right, well, I'll go to the two that he recommends. I look at Red Roof Inn, says no shuttle. Best Western shuttle. I call them up and they're like, long story short, I had to spend $142 on the room. Oh. 100, that was with the taxes and everything. 
Uh, and yeah, I was still with my, the AAA discount, which I don't have, but she's like, I'll give you that. I'm like, I got to spend this amount of money on a shithole room in a shithole hotel in a shithole town that I don't even want to be in anymore. What time of night is this? This is like, this is all around 8 o'clock at this point, you know? Uh, at least you'll get a full night's sleep. Well, I mean, I still didn't get a full night's sleep because I had to wake up at 5 o'clock the next morning still, you know? And I was right. just watching the hockey game and shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and we're on the East Coast time, so everything's an hour later, you know? Where if it was in the Central time zone, the game would have ended at 10. You know? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh so that really pisses me. I was like basically it's like cost me four hundred bucks because I didn't get to go to work the next day and I spent hundred twenty five dollars on this shit. Yeah. You know? Uh so I gotta write a letter to those people to the airline because I figured I'll get something even though it's not their policy, but I think I'm not enough people bitch. But I wake up the next morning. You know, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. I get up. I take my shower. I get out of the shower. And there's a message on my phone. Uh, it's like, this message is for Matthew Livicary. You know, <laughs> your flight from Philly to New Orleans has been canceled. Oh, fuck. I mean, I was gone to the airport. The shuttle was going to bring me there at 6 in the morning anyway, regardless. So I'm like, now i got to go there and deal with this bullshit. And I was hoping they could. And eventually they're like, oh, well, there's a flight uh, leaving at 8 o'clock. They'll get you. uh..." My flight was supposed to leave at 7.55. He's like, there's a flight leaving at 7. They'll get you there and be able to get you there by this time or something. And I don't know where it was going, Dallas or something like that. And then this is really stupid because this is all modern, the the friggin' um, 9-11 shit. Because you remember there was a time when you could show up 20 minutes before the plane left. And as long as you were fast enough, you could get on the plane, you know? Right, as long as you got there before the door closed. Yes. So we're here, and it's, he's like, oh, well, let's see. That's a good flight. That'll get you there by this time. And the, the gate agent guy, he's like, but we got to check you in. Let's, oh, we got to go over here to check in. He's like, but they might not let you check in because it now it's 631 or something. You know? Can you believe this shit? Right. Like, and, override uh, the system, pal. Come on. He's like, oh, you can't check in. It's too late. I was like, really? You can't even do anything about this because it's less than 30 minutes before the, it's 29 minutes before the plane's supposed to leave. That's too late now to get in. So he came, whatever. I got on a later flight to Philly. But here was one of my big bitches moments of this whole thing. Wait, we uh, haven't gotten to it yet? <laughs> the night, well, this is just the friggin', I guess, the cherry on top. Okay. The night before, when I was at the hotel, I needed to eat something. I was starving at that point, you know? Yeah. Uh, I ordered, like, a sub and some wings, you know? And I ordered a couple of cans of Coke, you know, because it was just a better financial deal. The two cans of Coke, <laughs> nice and a piece, as opposed to the uh, the twenty ounce can of Coke for a buck seventy, buck sixty nine, or whatever, you know. Okay. And I was like, that makes a good deal because I I might want more than twelve ounces of Coke, um, but 
it's a better deal than 20 ounces for a buck 69. But I only drink one can of Coke. So I threw it in the fridge uh, along with my crab cakes. <laughs> uh, so I threw that in the fridge. Damn, we have some good food. And I, uh, I took it to the airport with me. And I and I just eaten a big breakfast and had a cup of coffee and stuff. I really want to drink another Coke again. And you know, I just didn't want to drink it for health wise. And then, but then I'm there at the airport. I'm like, I probably should drink it now because they're probably not going to let me through security <laughs> with this. You know. But I'm like, let me see, because it was just last week they had that story about how they let you through with all these weapons and shit. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Uh. So I get all the way up there. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to see if they let me through with that Coke. So I had my plastic bag with the crab cakes and the Coke in it, you know? Yeah. And all my shit goes through security. I get up there. I get my stupid flip-flops and put them back on grab all my stuff, you know? And uh, I'm like, where's my other stuff? They're like, is that your stuff over there? I'm like, yeah. And they bring in the – she takes out the Coke – the, the TSA lady and she's like here I was like I was like, I can't have a coke she's like no I was like why she's like it's too big you know <laughs> I was like oh I was like I was like that's that's fucking stupid and she's like well that's the rule I was like you know it's stupid though right <laughs> <laughs> you know that. And I just walked off and I was like and then of course later on while waiting the friggin um you know, uh, so I got on a plane, which, of course, was delayed to Philly. And I had to wait around in the airport in Philly for two hours, but I bought but I bought a cook there. But how stupid is that? Once I got in there, I could have gone and bought a 20-ounce Coke, which is what I ended up buying in the Philly airport. A Coke is too big if you bring it through security. So it's dangerous for some reason. But it magically becomes less dangerous once you're able to pay twice the price. <laughs> twice the going price for Coke on the street, you know? Right. right. Somehow it's not dangerous anymore once the airport can charge you friggin' $3 for a 20-ounce Coke, you know? <laughs> but it's dangerous as hell if, it, if, it's, not, if it's coming through security. Uh, so true. Stupid is that? It's listen. It's it's for your safety, man. Yeah, it's like thank God, thank God, it's for my safety. And then what I love is they have this whole program, but I'm not on because I don't fly enough. Where if you pay eighty five dollars, you can go through security a lot easier. I was like, oh, eighty five dollars. You pay eighty five dollars to be presumed not a criminal. You know, <laughs> everybody else is presumed a criminal. I'm like, it's a can of Coke. Do you know something about a Coca-Cola bomb or some shit? You know, uh, how could I have done that that is professionally sealed and it's actually something that's going to blow up in there? You know, how stupid is that? Right. You know, it's just, ah, uh, in the whole process, that's not, it's all just a show. If you think that's what separates, you know, they make the joke about the terrorists winning. Me not being able to bring my fucking coke through security is the terrorist fucking winning. <laughs> it really is. Uh, uh, oh. So uh, stupid. I have a coke and a smile, my friend. Yeah. I just, and it was, 
it was more like an experimental thing. I was like, let me see what happens. You right. know? Right. You half knew you weren't going to get away with it. Yeah. But the idea that it's getting away with it to bring a beverage through security that they sell on the inside, you know? It's, it's, one thing, it's one thing if it's a knife. There's not a store selling knives there, you know? Right. Oh, sorry, you can't bring this gun through, but go buy a gun inside here, you know? <laughs> but it's a Coke. Like, it's too big. So <laughs> dumb. There's no, it makes no sense at all. You know why? Because it's all run by these petty bureaucrats, you know, and then it's all carried out by these friggin' low-paid people who are all on a power trip. Like, they couldn't have been like, yeah, take your fucking Coke, you know? Right. You know, I don't drink soda. I, I know that's everybody's catchphrase is, you know, I don't drink soda, but uh, I don't. I don't particularly like um, the bubbles. Yes. I, I, I can't... I haven't mastered the logistics of drinking carbonated beverages. It burns my nose for some reason. <laughs> Awesome. I do this weird backwash thing with it, and it just ends up going up my nose, and it's, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. But um, I want to drink. I want to go have a Coke now for freedom. Yeah. I want to have a Coke oh. for liberty. Yeah, man. It's freaking crazy. So I, so in Philly, I did have a Coke and some Fritos. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's freaking ridiculous, you know? It's like after all that shit, and I can't even bring my Coke through. It's like, no, sorry, it's too big. You got to go buy that inside. Yeah, man, it's all uh, bureaucracy. It's all the man. I remember the first time I ever had flown, like, as a grown-up person when I was, like, 15. And my buddy Colin, who was our photographer the night at Syracuse. Yeah, like, sure, Colin. Colin and Jason, we had all flown. We were flying up to Asheville. North Carolina, because that's where his mother lived at the time. We were going up there for a few weeks. And we brought on a friggin' little cooler bag of soft drinks and snacks and all this shit with us. You know? Now you can't do any of that shit, you know? Yeah, different time, man. It was yeah, now time. one... Yeah, different time. So, <laughs> that's my screed there. Um, I don't know. We've been running for about an hour and a half, and my dinner just got ready. Yeah, that's fine. It's getting late. I know it's late for you, too, huh? Yeah, and I've had to take a poop for the last hour and 15 minutes, so. Yeah, well, I'm glad I have that image right before I eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, on that note, my friend. All right. Uh, with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you guys next week. Good night, Fredo. <laughs> Sleep tight, Maisie Blue. Thank you.